So am I trying to create a new experience? Am I trying to analyze the results of an experience? And so I think you have to think about both uh, who the user is and maybe if it's a if it's data analyst coming to your platform, then obviously they're trying to analyze versus spill. Um, but also allowing that user to sort of self-select better into what type of event or experience they want or then drives that towards uh, the data or the experience that they're trying to get. Hello, and welcome to another exciting conversation on the VWO podcast. In this episode, Ben Winter and Jeff Vincent explain how you can drive growth with in-app experimentation. The experts share practical insights for improving user onboarding and feature adoption. But wait, this episode isn't like your regular podcast. It's a unique webinar turned video podcast, and it is delivered to you in the form of an exclusive masterclass. So don't forget to hit that follow button to stay updated with our latest episodes. You all want to be the elite company. Uh, and uh, what, what sticks out to, the, uh, to us about this data is that how similar the slopes really are. Right. Uh, it, the, in terms of uh, being uh, staying activated after uh, week one, but what really sticks out is uh, this, this one week difference. Right. It's really about uh, how steep the drop-off is between uh, the median companies and the uh, elite companies in that very first week. Yeah, I think this graph for me really highlights that. Um, and this is what we ended up focusing on with free trials, that you have a week, um, really, which I think is your first session with the user um, to really get them uh, sold on your product, to value your product to survive. Um, and I think that uh, it really, it highlights the importance of uh, demonstrating value and making sure the product's intuitive. Sure, you want your product and Jeff and just team work really hard on, on making sure that everything seen is in the right places and the user can easily navigate from place to place. But that first time you come in, you usually need um, some help and some guidance. And that's where sort of that experimentation can really help because you don't always know if, uh, if the experience and providing through the tours and providing are, are exactly correct. and uh, experimentation allows us to sort of increase and, and get that number into the top 10% and really uh, make a lasting impact as those users continue through their experience with our products. Yeah, I think that's right. And the other part balanced uh, to strike, and I'm sure a lot of people out there struggle with this too, is we want our products to be powerful, um, to have a lot of functionality and people are obsessing for more. But yet when someone starts on the very first day, you want them to come away with a really clear understanding of what it is that you do. Right. And it's hard. You don't build something, or very difficult, I would say, build something in product that just says, this is exactly what we do. It's very, very clear. Because actually, your products probably do a lot. Right. But with a really well curated first-run experience, you can get the key points across, and you can start to think out uh, a little bit further into how people discover some of this advanced functionality. Yeah, and I, and I think even more as your product matures, and I think we, we're experiencing this now, as you increase the number of features, have getting the user through that first core value experience actually becomes harder, right? Because there's not just one or two things in the navigation bar that you're looking at. There's 10 to 15, and as a result, um, though making sure you can get to the core features quickly as you mature the products actually um, becomes more and more important. So, um, even for younger companies that are just starting out to older companies who are building out more advanced features that are nested, um, this continues to be a, an iterative process that is really important um, and can really impact your user base. 
So, okay. So Ben, you come in and you're taking over our, or you're thinking about updating it. How do you go about doing it? Yeah. So, um, really sort of put together a team of people that use the most important part. Um, I think we're going to talk about the, the embed framework that we, that we use at AppFuse. Um, it's part of our user onboarding academy, which is available online. Um, you can sign up today, small, small plug. Uh, and so I think the first thing that we do is we, we put together a team of people, um, who can really, who can really sort of help, um, put together a process, right? So I worked with Jeff, our senior product manager, also our head of product, Tristan, and our uh, head of business intelligence, um, sort of put together a cohesive understanding of what are the main key, uh, behaviors that an event we want a user to experience and, um, and then what's the data, the data to back that up. Right. So we looked at key moments from the product side and then looked at the data in terms of how that, uh, led to retention and healthy customers and sort of merged those two together, both the qualitative and the quantitative. And, um, it came to understand where we wanted a user to get in their first session. And then, so from that, we then mapped out what our current onboarding looked like. Um, and then looked at the data in terms of how mapping the data to that onboarding. Um, and then from there, once you sort of have a lay of the land, we put together a large journey map of where a user would go in our app and, and what the sort of, uh, what the event ratio looked like. So how many people are for us is creating content or, or installing what percentage of users are doing that. Um, we then brainstorm tests to, um, come up with new ideas to get those numbers improved, right? So sometimes we think about one event specifically, how do we improve the number of people who create content? And then some would be, how do we get someone to do X, Y, and Z? And those pests, um, some of them are more complex and some of them are easier. And so we tend to sort of prioritize what are quicker ways, easy things to get done. And then sort of work on the larger, more complex problems later. Uh, the next step obviously is to then execute on those tests, uh, which I think AppQs really helps do in a very quick and iterative manner. And then obviously not things ever complete. Onboarding is an ongoing process. The product is constantly changing. Your users are constantly changing. Um, and so you have to continually do this. So I would say about once every quarter, we redo our entire onboarding process, um, to improve it in areas that we think we could, could do better. And how much data, how much data we've got? Like, I guess everybody yeah, has, a and everybody <laughs> has a different, uh, side of flow volume. Right. But how much data do you need to be confident in the results you're seeing? Um, I think it depends. How do you think about it? I think it depends on the amount of users you have, right? So obviously, if you're a B2C company and you have 10,000, 20,000 users signing up every day, you can do a lot more quick tests that are, um, that can sort of drive a, to a certain behavior or a certain action. Um, or, but if you're a lower, lower volume, so you're a B2B company in the approbation space, you maybe only get 80 to 100 users a day. And I think, uh, the difference between those two is that you kind of have to let intuition guide you. If you have a lower number, you're not going to get a static by the time you try and do a test and get to a point where it is statistically significant, the entire product will change. So for us, if I waited for statistical significance on our user base, uh, the product would be a year more mature and not everything would be obsolete that I'm doing. So there's no real value in that. I kind of have to trust the leading indicators, which are the certain behaviors we looked at that create a healthy customer and just hope that, and, and just, uh, use my best, uh, intuition based on feedback from product, feedback from our customer success team, from our sales team, from our marketing team, and sort of help drive those behaviors in the best way that I can. But there's no, 
uh, changing a button or to try and drive traffic. It's all uh, much more qualitative and uh, what you call concierge style mm-hmm. testing. I like that. So you're an onboarding expert and we are an onboarding company, right? So it's maybe somewhat obvious that we would spend a lot of time doing this, right? Absolutely. I just want to take a quick step back and talk about where most companies are at. Yeah. And then we'll run back through the embed framework one more time. Absolutely. So just very quickly, because I've worked with companies just like this, where people think about onboard and something that's going to fix everything, right? Uh, They think it's a silver bullet. They do a little bit of work or they do a complete overhaul and they just send it out. Yeah. Right. How do people get away from this idea? You mentioned it that we, 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 um, revisit bank once a quarter. How do people get away from this idea of onboarding? One, going to fix everything and two, just throw it all, like just, just make it all better and ship it. Yeah. So I think, I think one of the interesting parts, um, that AppFuse allows and, and where I fit into the structure of our product team, but I'm not actually on the product team. And as a result, I'm not biased by where I, where I see every day. So when a new feature gets released, I haven't been developing it and working on mock-ups for three to four months. And I think as a result, I'm not biased to uh, having lived in that thing for so long that I, um, as I go to, to look at, um, what will, what, what will be familiar to me and what I think would get me to understand this feature. Um, I'm removed from that sort of, uh, weight of being, of having developed it for three to four months. So I think that really helped. And I also think that, um, for me personally, working with app uses a product, not to plug us too much, but, um, I don't have to wait for the engineering team. So what ends up happening is that, uh, modals and tooltips and things that are not core features, um, end up being sort of, uh, done quickly and hastily. And then I'll just put on the side, right? So, um. You think this thing's going to solve your problem. Uh, you may want to make a couple tweaks to it because you didn't think, because you noticed some change and you want it to be different. And then the product team tells you, well, we'll talk to you in six to eight months. We're working on something else and then can't do anything about it. So this idea that it's a silver bullet, it may, it may be a silver bullet, but it's an ongoing silver bullet. And sure. as a result, uh, you need a way to be able to quickly iterate and test on it. Um, it doesn't, isn't hampered by your development sprints. Um, and so I think that where the pitfall comes is sort of this idea that this thing will solve all our problems, but I actually, my company's not structurally set up to actually have it solve all my problems. And I think that's where you run into this, um, this sort of collision of, of, I want to help my users get where they want to go, but I also don't really have the, the, the structure to do that. Yeah. Uh, that's a great point. And one of my takeaways is that. A struggle that I've had as a PM, and I think a lot of PMs struggle with this, is we're really focused on the individual feature. Right. We want to make sure that that piece is perfect. We want to make sure that the, the, the product works exactly as perfect. we intended. Yeah. And we don't, it's very difficult in that position to take a step back and think right. about someone who hasn't thought about this and talked about it for six to eight months. What's their experience? Right. Exactly. So the takeaway for me is to have someone, and you're in a great position, but you know, people listening should try to find someone who is a bit of that outsider, right? Who can play that, that foil to the excitement that I have around a brand new product yeah. and say, okay, yeah, this is great, but like, how does someone figure out right. how to make it work? And I think part of the interesting part I mentioned about features is that a, a new feature to someone who's just joining a product for the first time 
is entirely different than someone who's lived in your product for six months. And understanding the difference between how a user would never read your product will interact with that new feature as part of an uh, entire suite of features versus someone who's used the entire suite of features you currently have, but is now using this brand new one. They're entirely different experiences. And what ends up happening a lot of time is uh, companies will write an onboarding for a feature and not think about the divergence of those two processes, right? right? And so it ends up not resonating with either one group or the other, and both groups are very important. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we've talked to a ton of companies. Uh, we've pulled out some of the key problems that I bet you're experiencing too. Um, one that I, I just want to pull out before we move on is the is uh, that onboarding tends to get done and then not get touched for a really long time, right. um, even though the underlying product is being changed yep. because we don't go through yep. onboarding enough. Right. And something that I think having that external partner and having a product like AppQs can do for you is it's iterative. It makes it very easy to make those small changes as we're doing your stuff. Absolutely. So we've introduced the problems. I want to go back through just very quickly the embed framework again. You establish your team. Yep. You figure out who needs to be on it in order to get to get the work done. Keep it, keep it small. Like sometimes these teams can get too large, but then I would argue for having a team of people who all have a focus in the specialty, but not too many people work across, um, we're sure. trying to do multiple things at once. Definitely. And then you're going to map out the current state and look at the data you have, yep. and probably you'll find out you're missing some key data. Yeah, and that's right, yeah. which we did. Uh, then you're going to think about what your test should be. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about how you go about doing that the right way. You're going to do it yep. and, and using a platform like app, use it separate from the product easy, like you mentioned. And then of course the work is network. Right. Absolutely. And just to hit this over the head one more time, uh, we did a study on uh, key metrics for SaaS companies. And the takeaway for us was just how powerful an increase in retention, uh, sorry, exactly. activation, and then retention can be on your revenue. Yep. Uh, super, uh, super quick wins to make just by thinking about that early. Yeah, it's amazing the cascading impact of a 1% increase over time, right? So you're going to get a 1% increase cohort over cohort especially when it's on activation and retention, can have a massive impact on your revenue. Um, and it also, it also has a massive impact on the marketing dollars you spend and sales dollars you spend, right? Because Absolutely. every single, you spend a lot of money on getting these customers into your products, they buy it, and then they stay on and don't share. It actually makes the impact of those dollars that you spend uh, up more up funnel, uh, it's much more impactful. And one other thing I want to call in on that is that last step. Um, if you onboard something, someone really well, they can speak to what your platform does. And as a result, they're better uh, referral sources, Absolutely. right? Both internally as an internal champion and externally, which is just a really key part of growth. So the exponential value is there. Let's get into a little bit more behind. Yep. Okay. So we talked about how important mm -hmm. it is. Yep. And Ben ran this process. Uh, so he's going to be a really good source to talk about how the heck do you get at this stuff? Yeah. Uh, because the key part of improving it, right. is understanding where, where it's going wrong, setting the right goal. Absolutely. And so you put together a couple of questions yep. that people should be asked. Absolutely. So I think before you go and try and collect data, which I think, uh, is often the pitfall, give me all of the user behavior and give me all of the data. Um, you're not going to get the right answers and you're also going to waste, um, you're going to lose some political capital with the data people at your company. Um, so I write SQL queries. 
I don't have access to our production database. So I need to get that from somewhere. And I think as a result, I went to them with really good questions and made sure the questions that I was asking were getting me the answers I needed. And then when I got the data from them, I was able to answer those questions and didn't have to go back and say, oh, I need to pull this thing. I forgot about this one thing. Oh, this is a good question. Someone else brought up. So I would urge as part of um, asking these questions and think about what you want to really, really think it through before you go and engage a head of business intelligence or a senior engineer who has access to a production database. And, and really this, this first question, understanding what makes a good long-term customer, this is something that everyone in the company should understand. Absolutely. And I think something that, that we did a good job of was taking a step back, taking the time to do it right. And then making sure that just like any marketing change, it was really uh, well and consistently communicated. Everyone needs to be thinking about creating great long-term. Absolutely. I think all of these questions are ones that we, once we got answers to, we actually protected for the entire company because yeah. they're very important to understand um, and they're internally impactful across sales, marketing, uh, CS, engineering, right? So these really, um, knowing the key things that drive healthy users, long-term healthy users, um, should be shared with the entire company. I urge everyone to sort of communicate back internally um, once you find the answer to this question. So as I what makes a good long-term customer is what are the major events that these customers have in common, right? So what are the characteristics that make these customers long-term customers, like healthy long-term customers? Um, what can be done in onboarding alone versus the product itself? I think that's a very, very important question. And there, there are things that are currently in straight for our company that I thought were important parts of our product that needed to change, but I at least knew which ones I could touch myself and which ones needed to be done by the product team themselves. And, and having that understanding versus spending my time trying to fix something that may to be fixed in product is important. Um, we wanted to understand what, what you can drive as a behavior versus what uh, someone like Jeff needs to cover it and fix it on a more structural level. Yeah, I think I think these last three questions are really getting at how does good onboarding sit as part of like the total experience that a customer has. Absolutely. And you really need to be in contact with those other teams to make sure that it's all uh, working together cohesively. Right. It's all the same brand, right. but also that it's guiding a customer through sure. sort of a logical discovery experience of what your product does, why you exist, and how they can. Absolutely. And I think I would like to, for question four, I think this is often a misconception about the term onboarding is that it's confined to the first time a user registers for your product and signs up. And I think that is a very, uh, it can be a very harmful way of thinking about the onboarding process. So as part of our experience, when you sign up for AppCues, we send emails and follow messages based on behavior, trying to get you back into the yeah. application. And I think it's really important to, um, to ensure that you don't think about onboarding as a one hour session, but as a ongoing process of onboarding the user and getting them to run back into your app. So we send emails say there, someone got, has gone dormant for, for let's say a week, we email them ask if they have any questions or, or what was, what they need help with and, uh, encourage them to get back into the product. And then when they come back in, we leverage what they've told us about what they're having trouble with, make sure that they understand that process. And that wasn't something that happened in the first experience. It happened in the second or the third. And so I would urge everyone to really think about, um, about onboarding is not just this one type, the first time a user logs in, it's the first time the user logs out, but really about this ongoing process until they reach that activation moment. Okay. 
So we just threw a lot at you. You're probably feeling a little bit uh, overwhelmed with what you're going to put in your onboarding experience. And something that we really wanted to point out is that um, it doesn't have to be perfect or completely comprehensive. This was some data that we got from uh, from Mailchimp uh, and our and our partners at Adroll that actually um, just pulling things out right and making sure that you're doing it in at the right time. Um, can have a really big impact on, in this case, adoption, right? Right. So this is for a very specific feature, but you could see this applied to your overall um, onboarding. Yeah. And that's sort of something that we mentioned earlier that I saw with Jeff about is that, uh, you think that, oh, there's things in the navigation bar, the user will see it. Right. Maybe that's because you've lived in it for so long that you think they will, and oftentimes they won't. And so some have even more abrupt call out that sort of points in the direction is the only thing you need. It's a simple thing, but. As you look at the graph, um, it had a massive impact on, on their voucher. Yeah. And, I, and so far we've been really talking about like personal onboarding, right. which I think is still important. We'll have to do a whole separate webinar oh, on just product adoption. Yeah. But obviously these little touches can have a really Absolutely. good impact. Um, another point that this is our data, um, was really important is sometimes the inserted, uh, intuitive experience that you want to have someone. Uh, the thing that you assume uh, is most important for someone to experience actually may not have the biggest yeah. impact on retention. It, it is a little, <laughs> it, it is a little bit bizarre, yeah. but it, it harkens back to why the data and trying many different things is a really important part of this problem. Yeah, and also I would urge uh, when you look at this data, sometimes you think that oh, so inviting the user or publishing all these things, um, we should, we need to get that number up, and then we'll we'll cause retention. But I think. Um, I, there's a, there's a famous, uh, I was at a talk by University Grace from Slack and she talks about how just getting someone to do something, uh, isn't necessarily good enough. They have to sure. want to do it themselves. Right. So you could point tool tips and, and throw models up at someone and get them to, to do the publish a flow event. Uh, but they have to understand why they're publishing a flow, right? They have to want to do it. Um, just forcing them to do the event is not good enough. Um, right. It actually will. Maybe it'll show a, a higher percentage of users that are doing the thing, sure. but it actually will probably drop off your retention and your, your long-term customer out. So just for your context, uh, the three uh, analytics or the three events that we're looking at here are actually right. specific. One of them is publishing a flow, which is like what you create inside of Accus is yep. a flow. And so everyone probably has some notion of what the uh, end user will create inside your product. Second one is activating an integration, yep. right? So embedding uh, our platform inside of your own marketing and product activities. And then the last one is inviting a user, right? inviting someone else uh, to collaborate with you or help you get your account set up. And that had a massive impact right. on retention. Right. And it's so, which makes sense, right? That, and those are sometimes where the intuitive concepts max the data and they were talking about the intuitive concepts don't max the data right. and obviously uh, building out in product experiences, uh, me, for example, I'm not a designer. And so I need to have a designer sure. involved. Uh, if I had built it myself, I probably would have gotten yelled at by our designer. Uh, so he needed to be involved in the product experience and, and sort of building that out. Um, and so it make thinking about how your product fits into an organization, um, and what, what, what activities are needed to utilize your product as best as possible. Um, will, will sort of help you think about what. Um, the bats and behaviors matter 
um, as you as you try and get create monitoring of customers. So a key takeaway from this slide is uh, one, looking at your data and looking at all the data, not really getting like too pigeonholed, only thinking about what you want to drive the users right. to do. But then second, I think what you mentioned about setting context and setting the why for someone to take those actions right. is really important to creating like a story and a cohesive experience that the customer will go through. Absolutely. Get the nail on the head there with that takeaway. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, another key takeaway is that Ben is not a designer. Yeah, right. That is true. That is another takeaway. Uh, okay. One other uh, data point that you wanted to share was about uh, so some of the things that we looked into around are flow length. So uh, flow in app use can be provide us with many steps. And our advice could always been shorter sure. is better. Right. But another case where uh, we really needed to also look at the data right. and Absolutely. not just go with our intuition. Um, and so you, what you can see here is uh, that it's true that when uh, a flow has only a few steps, uh, so maybe one or two, one to set appropriate context to, to direct the user. It has a really good completion rate, but there are important contexts, right? As you can see, as the number of steps climbs, where completion rate is really high, where perhaps it's some sort of lock-in experience or a more complex experience for the user, but it's still really important and they're going through it. Or it could show that, which I think this, what this sort of table strikes me as is that uh, throwing a ton of content into a one set modal actually becomes more disengaging than if you break that content up into two or three pieces uh, that are more consumable. So um, people are afraid or, or tend to drop off when you show them a long paragraph because it means they have to read a lot. Um, so if you sort of break that up into smaller sentences, it actually ends up having a higher completion rate and people end up actually consuming the hot three times. Now, we're not advocating that people everything step up their flow into like a one word absolutely not. thing or something like that but it is about experimentation it is about playing around with it to figure out what's best for the user and it's about thinking about what type of experience you're about to guide absolutely and that's and that's sort of the the cool part about app user which which i find the power of i can i can throw a piece of content that i'm trying to push a user to do into one modal and if i see it's not really getting the job done, I can then easily break it up into two or three and sort of test and see which ones are working well and which ones are. Um, and sometimes there are cases where a longer modal with, long, with longer content actually does perform better than having two or three steps. Um, but it sort of depends. And I think it's how, not having to wait for my development team to uh, test out that concept uh, is really powerful. So we're listening to a webinar. We're we're, you and I are just blabbing on. Yeah. And you, we're hopefully getting you really excited to think about how you can improve your onboarding. Yep. But in real test is when you get off the phone. Yep. And you go back to your team, you try to make change. And you are going to run into problems, as we do. All the Bottlenecks are everywhere. There are bottlenecks there or bottlenecks everywhere. And uh, I think the biggest one that we see customers run into, right, when they're first coming to AppCase with this team, is, I mean, really, who here, who on the line, has an engineering team that's just saying, we have so much extra bandwidth. What could we possibly do with it? And then whatever going to be you with that, Ben? I wish. Okay, I know they're going to better change to see the unicorn. Yeah, right. right. And I, didn't got. I know uh, no one in there. Yeah. And Ben, the proper mentor is a Oh, excuse me. You know, right. it just, it would be nice to have, right? Yeah. Half human, of course, but it just, yeah. it just plain old bits. 
What's a centaur unicorn? It's a centaur. Centaur. Okay. We're working on. We're working on. Yeah. Uh, so, so what? What are the ways then that, that we're encouraging people to break? Or not? I guess how does that? Yeah. So I think so. There, there's certainly a uh, insulation. Uh, once, once you get installed with AppUs, you have removed the bottleneck in terms of creating experiences and driving users. So, um, as we've talked about this entire presentation, um, AppUs really empowers your product managers and UX designers to to, to ship these experiences without having to go through sprint. Right? I don't need to deploy code. I don't need to uh, wait for code review. I could easily, quickly modify the models and the content that I'm showing the users. Um, and I can ensure that, uh, that if I want to make a change, I have empowered to do it on my own. Um, on top of that, we want to make sure you have the right attributes when you install the first time. Right. So, um, oftentimes, uh, you won't, you won't send over, let's say for, for example, first name. So when you sign up for app use, it, we say, welcome, or if you use your first name after you give it to us. Uh, if I don't have that data being sent over the first time, I obviously can't then use that property. And so understanding uh, the ways that you want to personalize the experience um, is important as you as you get set up. Um, and then I think focusing on divergent thinking and testing, right? So um, what are different ways that I can take a user through an experience um, and get them to the same end goal? So one of the analogies that we're actually doing right now, which we didn't get done in time for this webinar, is um, are there different paths that the user takes and they get to the same point, right? So are they doing an event A or event B and event C and then getting to activation versus how many users are doing event C first and then doing event A and then event B. And so I think we often, I often fall into the trap of, I want the user to go through this experience in this very defined order, but often that could be wrong. I think uh, being okay with that being wrong and allowing for and being able to iterate and test on different ways of taking the user through uh, a series of sort of experiences um, is important and obviously requires a lot of complexity and changing and, and trying to get your engineers to do every single every single week or every two or three weeks is, again, is it possible to see in a sense of in, in real life? I mean, I really wish that I could. I know, um, I know. And sense of with a couple of that's really, yeah. Yeah. really quite slow. Well, what I'm hearing you say is, uh, if you front load the, the stuff, right, if you do installation, right, if you think ahead and figure out what you're going to need again, to drive that data, right. Then you get what you take out and, you know, the PM and me has gone through this many times, you take out the need to go to a team that's saying, what exactly am I built right with an exact, Absolutely. right. It frees you up to say, there's a bunch of different things we want to try. Yeah. Um, and we're going to know pretty quickly based on uh, the data that we get back, right. whether we want to make a change. Absolutely. And you just, you don't get that in the, okay, it's going to take a two week sprint. Right. And plus we need to get it on the roadmap. And we're already right. way overdone. Right. Yeah. We're already way over books. Um, and, it, and to your point, it has to be all figured out uh, normally before you get to that planning level. And so you, it, it I've experienced this myself. It, it, forces you to go down this sort of logical rabbit hole yeah. rather than being able to think divergently and creatively. Um, and in case, you know, those terms make no sense to anybody or they haven't thought about this before, um, something that we try to practice internally is that thinking of like, let's go back to first principles and let's think about all the different ways that we can do this right. as opposed to always thinking about it's got to be the same. 
where right. we can only build on what we've done right. before. This is a this is a big part of uh, design thinking in general, and, and we're changing how you about product, right? So, um, and a nice part of this, we we also use how by we so instead of trying to say we want a user to do X, it's how might we get a user to realize uh, to invite another user or realize that having their teammates on the platform um, are are important. And so I think the divergent thinking part is important to and we have sessions where uh, people throw afraid of the ideas and 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 no idea is a bad idea. And so as part of this exercise, I would encourage you to get a wide range of people in the room and have them throw up with craziest ideas in terms of like. Maybe we get people to invite yeah. users not using the app or not using technology at the time to do something offline, right? So, um, and I think that from that uh, that um, large swath of ideas, you end up you end up finding common themes and driving down and seeing that um, can help you create a reality. I think, yeah, I think that's right. A, a really key experience that we had was it's getting into a room uh, with just. I think it was the two of us, one of our uh, yeah. more successful yeah. designer, just with a whiteboard yeah. and just saying, how could we do it? And mm -hmm. again, you don't get that experience when you're in front of the engineering team. Right. They're asking, okay, so what are we, what exactly are we going right. to build? Absolutely. So another way uh, that you can fix some of these bottlenecks is in thinking about uh, what you want to build based on uh, just borrowing some common UI map. Right. Right. So, so people tend to, so now you have an idea, done this divergent. Uh, now, how do you go about building something? And, you know, we, we try to make that easy for you yeah. uh, by providing some of the, uh, the, the, uh, best examples of patterns that you can steal right off the bat. Yeah. We don't try and think, uh, a common, uh, pitfall can be trying to create some brand new concept or new ideas that. Uh, won't actually really help. So obviously everyone's seen models before and they know what those are. And so we try to keep common UI patterns uh, throughout our product, throughout our process. Um, they're not trying to change it up too much. So the next big area of success yeah. that we've seen is in personalizing the product. And I think like a, a key message we've been getting recently. Love Sam Hulick. Love, yes. Shout out to Sam Hulick if you're well, out there. Yeah, from my good friend Sam Hulick. Uh, check out this stuff at user onboard. Um, he asked this question on Twitter, when he wished the software that you use would understand better. Uh, and basically everyone responded. They meant this to yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That people want to know, uh, or people want their software to know what it's trying to do. Right. And really, uh, this goes back to that very first experience you're having in a product. If it can get to know you and, and show you what you want to know immediately, right. you're going to stick with it. It's right. going to get you success faster. Absolutely. So just some examples of ways that people are different and products should be due. Um, we will go through all these for the, for the sake of time, but obviously there are, um, everyone's different. And I think what's interesting about these, um, about these two different types of these two different groups is that these are actually characteristics, but sometimes it's about what you're trying to do, right? So am I trying to create a new experience? Am I trying to analyze the results of an experience? And so I think you have to think about both, uh, who the user is and maybe if it's a if it's data analyst coming to your platform then obviously they're trying to analyze versus build um but also allowing that user to sort of self-select better into what type of event or experience they want or then drives them towards uh the data or the experience that they're trying to get so the takeaway here is that personalization and personalized experiences are about way more than just getting their first name and right. making it to a modal Absolutely. it's about trying to understand what 
you know, using whatever data you can, what um, the user is trying to accomplish. Thank you, Ben and Jeff, for sharing these wonderful insights. And thank you folks for sticking with us throughout this episode. Now it's your turn to take action. Implement these game-changing strategies and let us know what impact it had on your business. Also, share this episode with anyone who could benefit from these insights. And don't forget to check out the other fascinating conversations that we've had with industry experts. Before you go, make sure to hit that follow button so that you don't miss a single episode of VWO Podcast. That's a wrap from our side. Until next time, goodbye, take care, and always be testing.